Okay, so welcome to the second installment of Parshanut and Beyond. This week we're going to be working on Parshat Titzaveh. Um, there are a couple of new people here today. So um, first I'm just going to go over generally the class structure, what the goals of this class are, um, and then kind of situate where we are in the Torah portions that we're reading these days. Um, so the class meets every Sunday um, from 6 to 7. And each class is a standalone class, so you can come for one class, you can come for all of the classes, whatever works for you. Um, and because this is being recorded, they're also, they'll also be available online. Um, and already it's available on the Hadar Campus Scholars iTunes channel, which I don't know if you guys have checked out. Have any of you seen it or like clicked on it? No. They're like, so far it's been, things have been downloaded about 584 times. We have no idea from where, but it's very, very interesting. So if you guys are out there, maybe email us to let us know who you are. Um, so just just keep us posted on how this is going and what is um, making you download things. Maybe you're the same person downloading it 500 times. I don't know, um, but just let us know. Um, so. The second piece that I want to talk about is just generally what the goals are for this particular series. Um, one is just to get a head start on the parsha on the Torah portion for Shabbat. Um, another is building text, text skills and just gaining greater familiarity with traditional texts, um, with the Torah texts, and also with the commentaries on that text. And Another goal is really working on strategies towards independent study, um, how to eventually be able to maybe compile a source sheet like the ones that you're going to be going to have handed out soon. Um, and this is both through kind of osmosis and like kind of soaking in the materials that we have in the class and also kind of actively we'll do a um, guided tour of the baby trash upstairs. Um, and also a virtual tour of electronic media resources that are available online. Um, so the next thing that I want to do before we launch straight into the text is just kind of situate where we are in this week's Torah portion, which is Parshat Titzaveh. Um, so in last week's Parsha, Parshat Truma, um, there was a lot of detail about the um, very specific measurements of the tabernacle, um, of the kind of transitional temple in that the Israelites use in the desert. Um, this week there's a lot of focus on the garments of the priests um, and in their worship in the tabernacle. So that's the shift that we have in this week's parsha. Um, and next week is going to be Parshat Kitisa. Um, which really features the sin of the golden calf, um, which very interestingly also features Aaron as the builder of the golden calf, even though in this Parsha he is very much highlighted as being a totally holy man with all of his priestly garments and everything as the high priest. Um, so that's where we are. I'm just going to hand these out and we'll just dig in. Oh, and also I'm going to hand this out just for signing in. One of the girls I met at the Kalah Kalah was telling me how she wrote a song last year, because it was also Parsha Truma, 
about the Mifkash, and she's like, right, she wrote the song like in her head, and she didn't want to forget it during Shabbat, so she kept singing it to everyone. And then she like went home and recorded it, and now it's like still the only song about like there's like there's like no music for like the building of the Mifkash. So she's like the only song Mifkash. out there. Am I saying it wrong? No, because you were talking about the restaurant before. Oh! oh it's totally still in your head. You're still thinking about that amazing restaurant experience. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> wait, about the... Are you thinking... About the tabernacle. Mishkan. Mishkan. Okay. Yeah. See, I knew I was saying it wrong. It's okay. I apparently am thinking about the Mikdash. <laughs> Maybe it was because I was thinking about the Mikdash and I, like, I needed to get to the Mikdash and now I can get to the Mishkan. But now that we're at the Mishkan, we've like totally left the Mishkan and we're on the priestly garments. Um, so... Well, I thought that was cool. Yeah. And I knew what you were talking cool. about because we had to study it the last week. So did you guys all sing it together? No, I, we, I didn't actually go and look it up then. Oh, okay. It's okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so the way that we're going to start is the, the very first text, text number one on the sheets, is a, um, it's an excerpt of the first seven psukim, of the first seven verses of the Parsha. Um, and we'll read that together, and then we're kind of going to brainstorm questions that we have about the text. Um, does someone, Ellie, do you want to start? And read it in Hebrew or in English, whichever. Sure. I'll try it with the Hebrew. Great. And you can also pass it along whenever you're ready to pass it. Okay. Okay. Te'edut um, ya'aroch um, oto aharon uv, uvanav me'erev me ad boker lifne adonai hukat olam ladorotam me'et bene Yisrael ve'ata um, hakrev elecha et aharon Aharon, Achicha, the et banov ito, mitoch bene Israel, la kahano li Aharon, nadav the at a Eliezer, the eat Tamar, bene Aharon. Um, make sacred. Are we there? Right? Exactly. Uh, make sacred vestments for your brother Aaron, for glory and adornment. Next, you shall instruct all who are skillful, whom I have endowed with the gift of skill, to make Aaron vestments for consecrating him to serve me as priest. Keep going. But okay. um, these are vestments. They are to be to be made. Make made. Um, a breast piece an ephod, a robe, a fringe tunic, a headdress, and a sash. They shall make those sacral vestments for your brother Aaron and his sons for priestly service to me. They shall take the gold, the blue, the purple and crimson yarns, and the fine linen. Great. So just taking a moment to think about what are the questions that you have about this text. Um, and. We're going to probably come up with a whole variety of different kinds of questions, and we can work together on categorizing what those questions are. This week, we have a marker. <laughs> um, so just 
throw out what are some of the questions that you have about this text already. Who are the people who are skillful? Great. Others? It says to light, um, to kindle the lamps regularly. What is regular? Like, regularly? Whenever you feel like it. <laughs> yeah. Great. What are maybe some ideological questions or theological questions that you might have arising out of this? Ben? I was like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why all this fancy stuff? Great. You know, we have this religion that, uh, I don't know, it's like not idolatrous and, you know, we're not about the image so much. So, like, right. why is image so important to this right. story? Why image? Why physicality? Great. What's the point of the light? Great. What does it do? We talked about, the, about this some last week, but again, like why the specific colors? Great. Um, and, and I'll add to that, so why these specific colors and also why these specific garments? Like is there anything special about making these particular articles of clothing and um, and are the colors that are being used in order to make them special as well. But what's in a food? Great, okay. <laughs> great, and that's also a great question. Or an ephod as ephod. generously translated. Ephod. <laughs> um, why are these vestments only being made for Aaron and not his sons as well? Great. Great, and so that's a so that's a question also about, are these just the high priest's clothing? Or is it just all priest's clothing? Like, it's not so clear based on this, if it's just being made for Aaron. Great. We talked about this a little bit last week in terms of chronological, um, like when things are happening. Um, and we said next week is the, um, is the golden calf. But did that actually take already happen? Or is that? Great. Sorry. So I'm not going to answer it. Okay, so I'm I mean, like, so that's, I feel like that's it, another it great changes question. my interpretation of this, whether that already happened or not. Excellent. So, how does this relate to the golden calf um, chronologically? And also logistically, right? Because they've supposedly, you know, given all of their goals already to build the golden calf. Like, how do they have enough to, if it happened already, then how are they going to have enough to build the to build the Mishkan? Um, so and also like how does Aharon's um, role in the sin of the golden calf? How does that work into his role here in being such a central figure in the in the in worship? Um, any other ones before we go into the? You sort the of just said it, but like why Aaron for this role? Great. Which is like can be also be related to. Kind of the golden calf thing, but just in general, why him? Great, and that's also something that um, you know. So, in the text that we're going to be looking at, 
we aren't going to get answers to a lot of these questions. Some of them we'll be able to check off, um, not like Russian author check off, but um, <laughs> just like check them off. And um, some of them we won't. Some of them will still have open-ended questions. And even the ones that we do have answers to, they still, not be, they still may not be satisfactory. Um, but so we have a variety of questions here, like really wide ranging, ranging from very textually based questions, like what does this word mean? And why were these words chosen? All the way to like, what is the point of this worship service? What is the point of having this be a physical manifestation? Um, why are these people chosen at all um, to worship in this particular way? Great. Um, so as we go through the sources, um, those of you who were here last week will remember the refrain of what is the question that the commentator is trying to answer? Um, what, um, what difficulty did they see in the text that they're trying to respond to in their question? Um, and in that way, it's like kind of a jeopardy sort of thing. Like they're giving you an answer and they, they ne like never really stated the question. Sometimes they state the question explicitly, but sometimes they don't. Um, okay, great. Ben, do you want to start reading with Rashi, um, number source number two? Um, Rashi, again, just like a brief introduction to him. He's, um, you know, just a very, um, very well-known commentator, very much um, like the bread and butter of commentaries. Um, if there's going to be a Chumash with one commentator in it, it's probably going to be Rashi. Um, and he brings in a lot of Midrash into his interpretations, and he also is very helpful in understanding what words mean, and we'll see a couple of examples of that. We saw a couple last week, and we'll see also this week. So do you want to read in the Hebrew or English? Sure. Um, do we have like a, a preference between the English and do you have a preference? It's whichever, sort of it's like whichever works for you. I, I guess in trying to balance like this group with the 500 downloaders, you know, and whatever, I just. We need to do what works best for us. <laughs> and so like whichever. my Hebrew. That's what it's about. Yeah, no, that's great. No, that's totally great. So if you want to use this as an opportunity to like work on reading out loud, uh, like on vocalizing text, then that's great. And if you would rather this be an experience of just like focusing on content, like more readily, then so whichever whichever works best well, for you. Start. <laughs> Sorry. Shall bring to you after you complete the work of Mishkan to serve me as priests, to sanctify him, to initiate him into priesthood through these garments, to be a priest to me. The phrase kuna means service, servantry in the colloquial. In the French colloquial. <laughs> exactly, in the old French colloquial. Because, you know, we're back in Provence with Rashi right they, now. They shall, they shall take. Those wise-hearted people who are to make the garments shall receive from the contributors a gold and the blue wool from which to make the garments. Great. Wise-hearted um, people. What's the Hebrew? Sorry. Right, no, so the Hebrew is chachmei <laughs> lev. So isn't it like, oh, it's like smart. Like, is there a, is that phrase used? I feel like I've heard it. Okay. 
Wait, so wait, so finish your like I I feel like I've heard like Hachmei love, I feel like I've heard that mm-hmm. like that before. Is that like is there other meanings aside to that aside from just like smart heart like type things? Right. So the way that um, the JPS translates it is generally just skilled, which I think is an interesting choice, so they don't translate it literally. Um, so um, so I can't I can't think of other examples where that phrase is used. Um, but it seems to be referring to people who are filled with wisdom in some way, and it could be wisdom in a craft specifically, and that seems to be how it's meant here. It could be that it's filled with more generic wisdom, of, like knowledge. Um, so, so that's also a really interesting choice of words there. Um, so with the very first piece, you shall bring to you, um, what question do you think Rashi is trying to answer? in that. And it comes from Pasuk, like the first Pasuk, all right, like Pasuk number one in the, like Aleph. Exactly. The question is when. Exactly, right. So it's totally, Mm -hmm. he's trying to, he's trying to figure out when is this happening that you're bringing Aaron and his sons, exactly. Um, Why well, is there that second e? I mean, I was looking in the English, but the second you, like, it, it makes sense. You shall bring to your brother, but like, you shall bring to you your brother. Right. There's is that both. Excellent. So there's the ve'ata and also elecha, like, and you shall bring towards you, um, and that's something that commentators are going to be picking up on as well. Like, why is there this emphasis on Moshe um, bringing? Like, why? Why is Moshe kind of being inserted into this, um, into this interaction with Aaron doubly. Um, so that right now is not the question that Rashi is trying to answer, but it will be a question that other commentators are trying to answer. So good anticipation of that. But why did they, why did he do it for that, for that part and not for you shall further instruct? Like when, when shall he further instruct? For that matter, when shall they set them up in the tent of meeting? Like. Great. So what do you think? Um, I mean, I think for at least 21, like, you shall set them up in tent meaning that seems to be more habitual because they're saying that, like, it shall be a rule for all time. So that one, it's like, well, you shall set it up all, always. Um, whereas I guess that first one is the one that's more bound as, like, a one-time thing, maybe? Great. So, so, maybe, um, so maybe the reason that Rashi is commenting on that particular phrase is because that is what you're going to do right after you finish all of, like that's, that's still part of the ritual as opposed to the light, which is like a one-time thing that you're just gonna set up and that's it. But with the Mishkan, there's, I mean, sorry, so with the rest of the ritual, you set up the Mishkan and then you deal with the Kohanim. Is that, is that what you're saying pretty much? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Great. Um, and with this next piece, with the um, to serve me as priests, uh, um, I just wanted to, again, bring that as an example of something that Rashi does all the time, um, which is do the whole, this is this old French word in the colloquial. <laughs> um, and in the Hebrew, it's bilaz. So that really, that means colloquial, really. Um, and so that's, not so helpful for people who don't speak Old French, um, but it's still an interesting thing to see. And 
um, it's interesting to see that that's what one of his goals is, um, to make sure that his readership can associate a word with the colloquial. Um, and the very last piece, what, what is he responding to in the pasuk? What question is he trying to answer there? Where are you taking it from? If you're taking it, you're taking it somewhere. So where are you taking it from? Great. So I think that, um, so so I think that I think that's twofold, right? I think that he's commenting on the two words, vehem yikru, and they will take. Um, so the will take. The question is, okay, where are they taking it from? And the they is who's they? Um, and his answer is those wise-hearted people who are to make the garments. Um, great. Um, any questions about that before we move on to Rashbam? Cool. Um, so Rashbam um, is an 11th and 12th century commentator, also French. He is Rashi's grandson, actually. Um, and was known for focusing very much on the plain meaning of words. And we'll see some examples of that in what we read here. Um, Hannah, do you want to take over? Mm -hmm. uh, you shall further instruct. Above it says, tell the Israelites to bring me gifts for that specific time for the purpose of the Mishkan. But here, this instruction is for all generations to bring oil for lighting every year. Therefore, he says, you shall further instruct, changing the expression, because every instruction or command is for the ages. Great. So let's stop there before we move on to the next piece. Um, so what is he responding to here? Whether it's an annual or like a one-time thing. Great. Um, so like what kind of command is this? Is this forever or is this, um, you know, like the... The pasuk says, you shall instruct. So what kind of instruction is this? Um, great. And I think that he's also responding to um, the fact that the, word, the term instruction is used here, or as opposed to in truma, last week's parsha, where the word was just speak. Um, and so what is different about the instruction here as opposed to the instruction in Parshat Truma. And the answer for him is that it's a different kind of instruction, like what you were saying. Um, this is forever, and that's kind of like a one-time thing. Great. Do you want to keep going? Uh, breast piece, like a kind of case and pocket as it was doubled. Ephod. Ephod. A decorative garment the one covers himself with over all his clothes. Fringed, made with many indentations slash holes. I did not want know what to make of the of that word. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> headdress, a hat on the head, as it is written, royal headdress, sash, a belt. According to the plain meaning, it wasn't necessary to mention the pants here, since only the visible garments made for glorification are mentioned. Great. So here's an example of Rashbam just like trying to explain what individual words mean. Um, and is also getting to our question of what an ephod is, which I'm not sure if it, if it really <laughs> answers. <laughs> or, um, I think like a robe. robe. Yeah. Is that what you're gonna yeah. say? Yeah. Like some sort of like ornamental over 
coat over a piece <laughs> of some sort. Um, and breast piece, like I didn't know what to make of that. Like that it's like that still does not tell me what it is. Like that the fact that there's like something to insert it into that that also like doesn't really help me. Um, As it was doubled. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, I guess because the pocket, it was the doubling made a pocket. Right. So maybe, oh, so maybe having like both, both a case and a pocket, like it's, I don't know. Um, but for that, maybe we need to read the description in the Parsha itself of exactly how it's made. And then maybe we can trace um, exactly how it's constructed. Um, so basically just the questions that he's trying to answer here are what do these words mean? Um, and the very last piece is about, well, Aaron is also wearing pants. So why aren't the pants mentioned? Um, and so the response is, well, like everyone wears pants. And so those aren't special. And we're only mentioning the things that are lechavod um, ultivaret. Um, for glorification and for adornment. Um, so I think that it's also picking up on why do we need that piece at the end of the pasuk for glorification and for adornment? Oh, well, it goes to tell us something about the garments that are mentioned. Cool. Um, okay. Um, so let's move on to Ibn Ezra. Um, 12th century Spanish commentator who was also um, very into liturgy and writing poetry and a renowned linguist. Um, sometimes he, I believe he sometimes cites a Karaite colleague of his, which is kind of unusual, but because he really respects him as a grammarian, I think Yefet is his name. Um, so very, very into language. Um, and very into florid language in other, in other genres of what he writes. Um, okay, so I'm going to read this in the Hebrew. Ve'ata, ba'avur hiyot Moshe kohen ha'kohanim batchina, al-kein ta'am ha'krev e'lecha. So this is, this is picking up on your question, exactly. U'kvar amazti lecha, lama nivchar aharon ha'kdisho l'ashem, sh'yu ha'kohanim mechaprim al b'nei Yisrael. ואין לדבר על משה אדוננו, ועוד כי תורך כל ישראל על משה ללמדם המצוות, ולדון כל דבר קשה. ואלה הבגדים, and this is the second piece, ואלה הבגדים הזכיר בתחילת החושן, שהיה למעלה מהאפוד, שהוא למעלה מהמאיר, ואחר כן הקטונת והאבנת החוגר אותו, והמצנפת על ראשו. Okay, so for the first piece, um, what, you know, so we can spell it out more directly. Like, he's really picking up on the question that Ellie is asking before, like, why this doubling of, and you bring to you, like, why this, um, why this focus on Moshe? And the reason that he seems to give is that um, we're kind of struggling with the question of why is Aharon chosen and not Moshe? Like, shouldn't Moshe, who's been functioning in a pretty holy worship role already, be the high priest? Um, and so, so he gives a he gives the answer that you know Moses has enough to do. <laughs> um, everyone is coming to him and hounding him with all their questions about. 
um, about observing the mitzvot and in judging everything, adjudicating everything, there just isn't the time. I'm still confused about this. If we go back to the like the parsha part, mm-hmm. like it sounds like it was supposed to be like you, comma your brother, with his son. Like I'm still confused about that first you because oh. it sounds like like Moshe's already a priest, and then like here's the, here's like what we're doing with like Aharon and his sons. But like because Moshe was already a priest, we're saying like you, Moshe, should bring this to yourself as well as your brother and his sons. Hmm. I, mean, I, like, I feel like I'm missing something, but like, yeah, not I mean, what you just said. Right. Um, so, so you're kind of giving a, 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 an alternate reading that's the extra and you comes to include Moshe in yeah, I just the was priesthood. Like, it says because kind of. Moshe was the priest among priests at first, therefore bring to you. Like, I'm just using that first right. line. Oh, okay. From the Ibn Ezra. Great. Yeah. Great. Um, That's why you need so, commas in the Torah. I would have thought. Yeah. No, that's great. And I think that um, to respond to you within the parsha itself, yeah. like within the psukim, um, I think that the um, the end of pasuk aleph comes to maybe comes to clarify who exactly the kohanim are. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, oh, to so serve the verse me says, as like, you shall bring to you <laughs> your specific. brother Aaron and his son from among the Israelites to serve me as priests. And then it says it again. Aharon, Nadav, and Avihu, Elazar, and Nitamar, the sons of Aharon, right? Yeah. Just them. Like, these are the people who are going to serve me as priests. Um, so maybe, so, like, you could say that maybe you need that extra piece to clarify, not you, Moshe, Moshe yeah. just Aharon and his son. Like, you were already a priest, you're a different, like, kind of category. Great. Great. Um, okay, good. Um, and the next piece, what do you think Ibn Ezra is responding to? Like, what difficulty is he tackling here? Where all these things go? There's like so many of these things. You got the E5, you got like a breastplate. It's like, how do you wear them? Great. Just the order that they're listed yeah. related exactly. to how they're supposed to be used. Exactly. And I think it's a combination of what you both said that, you know, it's both explaining um, by, like, first of all, why, is, why are they listed in this order? Oh, it's how they're worn. Mm. <laughs> so now we both know why they're listed in that order and also how are they, you know, how does. How are the priests putting them on, or rather, how are how is Moshe putting them on Aharon? Not great question, even Ezra. But like, how do we know he's you right? Question, even Ezra. Like, is he just, is he just saying like this like makes sense, and I've decided that like this is my opinion, or is it that like is he using sources that like we don't have anymore? Or great. Um, so like, it makes sense. I agree with like, but great. I think it would also make sense backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you get dressed in the morning. What a breast piece and yeah, and like what does he know that we don't? Right. <laughs> great. I think you ask that question about a lot of these commentaries, but like this is a really great, like kind of easy one to like fight. Great. With them. And sometimes, and sometimes commentators hold their cards closer than you kind of feel like they need to, and you kind of um, there are. It's interesting in compiling these sources. There's a lot of overlap between them. Part of the reason there's a lot of overlap between them is that they're using the same sources to answer the questions. Like they're using the same piece from the Babylonian Talmud. 
but not telling you that they're using it. Um, so maybe it's because they assume that everyone knows it um, and they're just bringing it specifically to shed light on this particular problem. Um, and, and it could be that they just don't think that it's relevant to tell you, like this is an answer, like this, this question comes up about this, um, about this piece of Torah and like this is an answer and it's not really relevant that it comes from the Babylonian Talmud or that it comes from Midrash. Um, so sometimes I think it is that like they have sources that they're not telling us about. Uh -huh. um, sometimes they're just using reason. Um, other times they might be using teachings that are coming to them in whatever training they had, formal or informal, um, or just you know traditions that have been passed along over time. Um, so so really, I think it's um, I think it's a bunch of factors. Um, but, but like we're still left with the question of, okay, but do I trust them? Like, do yeah. I think that this is right? Do I think that this is the 100% correct interpretation? And, and it's really an individual decision of like, does that really matter? No, I'll accept <laughs> it. I was, I was just wondering yeah. if this was just like, well, like this makes sense to me. I'm going to write this down. Or if they were, they were, it sounds like they were drawing from, from sources. So like, also, I think it's consistent. I don't know if someone says or kind of that. It seems consistent with Rashbaum's interpretation of what an ephod is, because if an ephod goes over everything, then it would, and anything else is on the outside, then the ephod can only be above the robe, and then everything else has to be above the ephod. Yeah. Great. So it can also be, so commentators aren't always like warring with each other. Yeah. And some of them don't even know about each other. I think this question came up last week, like to what extent can we trust that they know what previous commentators have said, or if they're living, if they're contemporaneous with other commentators, like do they, can it be assumed that they have knowledge of it? If there's an explicit critique, like Ramban often makes, um, so this is a segue into Ramban, um, then we can assume, and you know, last week we saw an example of him really railing on Rashi, um, and he does that frequently. Um, so then we can assume that they have access, but um, but otherwise we otherwise it's difficult to tell. Um, do you want to take Ramban? Sure. They shall take the gold. All the instructions until now were for Mo were for Moshe himself, and you shall make make. And now he is instructed to speak to the wise-hearted who will make the garments. Therefore, it says that they will take the blue the blue wool and the gold they will receive the donation from the public and will make the vestments. Vest, yeah, vestments. The reason to state this is so that the donations aren't kept from them, for they are trustworthy. And the people who give the money shouldn't restrict their giving to those who do the work because they do it faithfully. Great. So what kind of difficulty do you guys think that Ramban is responding to here? Seems like he's very much emphasizing the, and they shall take the gold, vehem yikhuet hazahav, um, and really putting a lot of focus on the people who are not Moshe um, taking, um, taking all of these materials and emphasizing that they can, that they can really be trusted. Um, and in contrast to, kind of to contrast what 
um, Moshe was instructed previously where it was just like, and you will make, um, now it's, and they will take. They will, they will take and then they will make. Um, so I think, I think that that's kind of what he's responding to here, just the shift from, um, from Moshe really being at the center of making things or, um, or really directing the, the Mishkan building and here there's like a decentralized, delegated role for these people, whoever they are, which we still don't fully know. Um, okay, great. So will you take the Chizkuni? Uh, you shall further instruct. After completing all the instructions concerning the Mishkan work, he explained how they would have light. So too we find with creation. After all components of the earth were created, he established light for them. To bring to you for your purposes. So that, you, so that you can see where you are coming and going, but not for me, since I do not need light. They, the wise-hearted, will take the gold discussed in Parsha Truma. Just as I want you to take the donation for the Mishkan purposes, so too I want you to take the gold and the donation for the garments. And they shouldn't say that Aharon seeks it for himself, since the garments atone for Israel, as discussed below. Great. Um, Is that a reference to the golden calf? <laughs> or no? Um, what do you think? Well, that's what, I mean, like, it would make sense, because, like, if they're, you, like, it's your, I want you to take the gold and the donations for the garments, and the guard, and then the garments atone for Israel. So it's, it would make sense. Wait, can you say more? I don't know, I think it partly depends, like, chronologically, like, we haven't, like, we still haven't established, like, that so much, but it would, like, it, it kind of makes sense that if there's going to be something that would atone for the golden calf, it would be something mm -hmm. similar in nature, but also something different, like, that would be used, like, you, you're, you're still collecting, like, gold and donations from the people, but you're going to use it as something to, like, make the nation holier. Great. Um, so that's a really interesting reading. Um, and I think, no, I don't think it's bizarre at all. I think it makes a lot of sense. Especially, <laughs> no, I think that's really great that, um, like, it's not just, so I, I think what the Chizkuni is saying specifically here is that generally this is a process of atonement um, and that the Mishkan worship is about atoning for the sins of Bnei Israel. Okay. But your reading, which I think is really interesting, um, and, that, and that you could totally push in a really legit way, um, is that the collecting of the gold itself is an atonement for the collecting of the gold that happens in the golden calf. Mm -hmm. um, and I, th I really like that reading. Do you want to say something then? No. Okay, cool. Um, so, and I think that in that piece, um, what's, what's being emphasized in that, in that last paragraph in the Chizkuni is again the, and they, they will take. And it's not about Aharon seeking this very fancy stuff. Um, it's about um, it's about these clothes really being necessary for the process of atonement. Or, according to Ellie's reading, this process of collecting the gold is very important for the process of atonement. Um, Maybe keeping like Aharon out of it a right. little bit too, like which could also be a responsible yeah. cap, right? So, like 
he was the one who was collecting all the yeah, gold like, there. We're not going to have him do it again. Now, like, we're, <laughs> we're kind of, you know, re, we're shifting the focus to the people who are actually going to be making it, lest we think that Aharon is the one who wants it, who, hint, hint, wanted it before. Um, so that's, yeah, I really like tying in the golden calf there. That's great. Um, so any thoughts on the very first piece about the, about the Mishkan kind of being parallel to the creation of the world, that after both of them, there's light. Any, any thoughts on that? It's an interesting parallel between the world and the Mishkan, which like, I, I don't know, I guess it's like, it's still kind of weird that there's like a, a building, or like a, a place that is this, I feel like we're still like not quite comfortable with that concept and all of a sudden they're like, and it's like the world basically. So that makes me more comfortable with that concept because it like mm -hmm. gets at the idea that like this place for God, which is something I'm uncomfortable with, like is parallel to the idea of the world, which is like a very different, different idea of God. Hmm. So in some ways that kind of decreases the physicality but, um, of it. No, it makes but it yeah. great. Like, I like that. Cool. Other other thoughts on Mishkan or like physical worship being I wonder why Ben's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the last I like bring in Wittgenstein or something. No, I, no, just, no. I just know it. It's, um, I'm ready. Bring it up. C.S. <laughs> uh, Lewis instead. <laughs> no better. Um, but, yeah, you remember the end of the Chronicles of Narnia in the last battle? There's this... Yeah, it's, it's been a while. So, there's, um... They're about to go into the, like, post-apocalyptic uh, utopia or something. And, um, and there's... Like, and they go through a barn door. And I think Susan, but it might have been one of the others, says, and once in our world, too, there was a barn that contained more than the entire world itself. You know, referring to, like, baby Jesus in the barn. Um, and I was just thinking about that. That's the only reason I was Cool. No, I really like that because that's so. Like so it's, it's yeah. kind of presenting the Mishkan as a microcosm of the world. Right? Yeah. And, um, right, and just as with the world you needed light, so too um, in this mini world you need light and you need that light to be sustained and perpetuated um, in, a, in a real way. Um, and, and so just another piece on the light, the middle, the middle paragraph that we didn't talk about yet is, um, is about the light not being for God, you know, lest you think that God needs this light, no, it's so that you don't trip over yourselves in the, in the Mishkan. Um, it's so that, you know, you can see where you're going. God doesn't need to see where God is going. God knows. But, you know, you clumsy humans, mortals, you, you've got this problem. Um, Okay, great. So let's move on to. So there's also like a more positive reading of this, like you know, like pay attention to where you're going. This is this is serious work. Like you don't want to be stumbling around. Anything. Great, but also and also like a separation between God and the priests. Like, 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 like what you were saying, but it's just this like clarification of like mm. the I don't know this like separation. Right. Difference. So like they might have 
um, like a reminder. We might be giving like them a divine life, like a reminder of like humanness and mortality. Excellent. Great. Great. Um, so let's move on to um, Rabenu Bechaye. Um, actually, let's just. I think we'll skip it for now, but just to say that he's really picking up on the glory and adornment phrase, the chavod ultif aret, um, and saying that the kinds of clothing that the priest is wearing is very similar to what royal garments would be at the time. Um, so just, just pointing that out. Um, oh, we're going back in time to number seven. Um, Sorry, I switched the I switched the numbers on the Hebrew side at least. Um, and okay, great. So who are we up to, Leslie? Did you just read? Oh, I did just read. Okay, so Ben, can you read a Bravanel? Thanks. He said, "Bring to you to give a reason for why not every Israelite whose heart desires is commanded in candlelighting." He set aside that commandment for Aaron and his sons alone, saying that there is no one closer to you in all of Israel than Aaron, your brother in the degree of perfection and prophecy, to go in and out of the sanctuary. For no one comes closer to you in the status of sanctity than him. Tell all of Israel that I have chosen Aaron and his sons for worship in the sanctuary, and no one from Israel would hesitate about this and would believe that he acted upon God's word. For if Moshe acted on his own, he would give the great honor to his own sons, Gershom and Eliezer, and not Aaron's sons. Instead, the master of the prophets did what he was commanded to give the priesthood to Aaron, and his project, just as he gave the kingship to his servant, Joshua. Great. So what major question that Hannah brought up at the beginning is this answering? Or it could be other questions as well that I'm not thinking of right now. But the very basic question of, like, why Aharon, right? So there's that, like, more ideological question. And then there's also, I think, the textual question of, Hakrev um, elecha, bring near to you. Um, and so, what Abravanel is picking up is picking up on is the Hakrev elecha, and he's kind of reading it as Hakarov elecha, who is close to you, who is closer to you, Moshe, in the degree of sanctity that you have than Aharon, than your brother. Um, and um, so in some ways, it's not because of Aharon's merits on his own. It's in, in some ways his proximity to Moshe um, that really merits him being in this position. Um, and also, it's just an interesting, um, interesting thought on um, that part of that having it be Aharon and his sons gives this position legitimacy um, because if this were really about nepotism, then Moshe would have chosen his own sons. Um, and given the priesthood to them. Um, so, that's, so that's an interesting piece as well. Um, Hannah, will you read the Kliyakar? You shall bring to your brother Aharon from among the Israelites. This additional language comes to show that after the incident of the calf, Aharon became more distant, and Moshe brought him back with his prayer, as it says, the Lord was angry enough with Aharon to destroy him, so he also interceded for Aharon at that time. And it seems that because Moshe brought him near, therefore he was chosen to Moshe's credit even though he was also among the worshippers of the calf. Even so, he brought him from the Israelite worshippers, and it is all because of you. Which is why it says, and you shall bring to you Aharon from among the Israelites. Great. So what are a couple of questions that the Kliakar is addressing here? It clarifies my chronological question. Great. 
So, like, how does this relate to Chet HaEgel? How does this relate to Aharon's role in Chet HaEgel? I think he's also responding to a textual question of, again, like this phrase, you shall bring to you your brother. So what does it mean, like, to bring him close? Like, the what the Kliakar is picking up on is the root, karav, karov, like, bring near to you. Um, so it goes to show that Aharon was distant. So after Chet HaEgel, he becomes distant from the people, and you need to reel him back. And part of what merited him to be able to be reeled back is that Moshe sticks up for him, or at least he says he does in Deuteronomy, um, and really prays for him because Aharon was in a lot of trouble, um, and Moshe prays for him. Um, so, and again, this also just deals with Aharon's role in Chet HaEgel, and like how do we, how do we reconcile with the fact that he um, was involved in that kind of idolatrous worship? Um, and really, we can thank Moshe for him being brought back into the fold in such an integral way. Do you have a question? You look like you have a question. I need to work on reading your face. Um, so, okay, so let's just read quickly this last piece, and then we'll end. I guess we're up to me. Okay, so I'm just going to read it quickly. Next. Um uh, Rabbi Anani ben Sasson said, Why is the portion about the priestly garments juxtaposed to the portion about the sacrifices? Great question, <laughs> Rabbi Anani ben Sasson, Bar Sasson. Um, it is to tell you, that's not in the text itself, it is to tell you, to all you listeners out there, um, it is to tell you that just as sacrifices procure atonement, so too do the priestly garments. The tunic procures atonement for bloodshed, as it is written, and they dip the coat in the blood. The breeches... Plant, pants, uh, um, procure atonement for incest, as it is written, and you shall make them linen breeches to cover the flesh of their nakedness. The headdress procures atonement for those of arrogant mind, in accord with what Rabbi Hanina taught, for he said, let that, be, let that which is placed high procure atonement for acts of haughtiness. The sash procures atonement for sinful thoughts of the heart, for it atones where it is worn. The breastplate procures atonement for error in legal decisions, as it is written, and you shall make a breastplate for your judgment. The ephod procures atonement for idolatry, as it is written, and without ephod or trafim. The robe procures atonement for slander, for the Holy One, blessed be he, said, let that which emits a sound procure atonement for an act of sound. The golden plate procures atonement for impudent deeds, for there is written, etc. The one result, um, I'm just skipping, if his actions were not affected, the robe procures atonement. So basically, this is paralleling um, what are the clothes that are being worn and what are the sins that are being atoned for, and it really being brought in tandem with um, really being integral to the process of atonement that the Mishkan brings. Um, so I think that it kind of answers the questions of why are the clothes important um, why do we need these fancy things? Why do they need to be to such specific measurements um, and design? Um, and, oh, and I skipped to the very beginning here. Um, right, just what is, the, what is the importance of these garments and just why are they so important to the, to the process of worship in the Mishkan? Um, any thoughts here? And this is an example of a text that a lot of the commentators brought in 
um, and kind of didn't cite. Sometimes they cite and sometimes they don't cite. Uh -huh. um, but uh, this was this was something that actually kept coming up in a lot of the commentators. And I thought, you know what? I think we should just go straight to the source and look at it in the original Bobley Babylonian Talmud. Um, any last thoughts before we close up? Cool. Okay, thank you for coming. And a very early Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>